Hello and welcome to episode 200 of Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're joined by episode number one and number five, Butch Jaffin and Wes Brooks. Butch is the head coach at Cookville High School in Tennessee, and Wes is the head coach at Oxford High School in Alabama. I may have mentioned it several times on the podcast, but I want to reiterate it here. Butch and Wes are two of the best coaches in the country, and they absolutely get the most out of their guys. So, on the show, we talk about what's important to them. We discuss what growing men in your program means. We talk all things culture, and they go into depth in how you can develop a system that works for you and your program. You're going to love this episode. And here is Wes Brooks and Butch Chaffin. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, JG. Of course, of course. And, and if uh, you are a first-time listener, you are literally listening to two of my favorite people and coaches on the planet. And uh, this is episode number 200, which is it's crazy to think about. And, and so Butch and Wes were both episodes number one and number five. And, and I, think, I think the first two people that I ever recorded with. And so uh, it's been an awesome journey since then. And I'm so thankful for them because if, <laughs> if they hadn't come on, then I probably wouldn't have done 200 just because they piqued my interest so, so much. And, and I've learned so much from them over the last couple of years and, and thankful to call them friends. But uh, Butch, we're going to start with you. And, and I know that you've been on a lot of podcasts. You are an open book as far as helping mentor and share with coaches. But I wanted to do something a little bit different today. And I wanted to talk about your why. And so tell us a little bit about your why. And just obviously you're continuing to grow, but your ability to cut out you know, unnecessary noise and to grow young men. Just what is your driver on a daily basis? And in essence, what is your why? I, I can make it really sappy. And I could go down a lot of roads, but man, I love baseball and I love everything about baseball. Baseball has been really good to me. And ever since I was a little kid, I'm, I was just intrigued with baseball and it has rewarded, we, rewarded me with friends and travels and getting to meet people and getting to experience stuff. Uh, baseball is just such a great game. Um, you know, and I love teaching. I, I love teaching the game, um, you know, to, to people that want to listen. And then accidentally, and I've thought about this, and I've heard, Jonathan, I've heard guys talk about, you know, the relationships and all that kind of stuff. And, man, I've questioned myself. And I think if you do a good job as a coach and you take care of the game and you care about your players and you love your players, I know Wes is going to say this, same thing. Um, if you get into it and you're going for a relationship, it's almost like you're trying to date that girl too hard and she doesn't like you because you're dating her too hard. You're trying too hard. But if you get in uh, and, and you love the game and people see you love the game and your players see you love the game, uh, I think the relationships are going to come down the road. And, you know, I know that's how it's worked with me. I'm pretty sure how it's, that's how it's worked with Wes. Um, but, you know, I, when I hear coaches talk about forming relationships, I just think about, you know, like a campfire in the dugout, and they all have s'mores and stuff like that. Um, hey, man, Jonathan, you play for me. I'm going to coach you hard. And you're going to walk away, and you're going to quit 100 times a day, and you're going to come back the next day, and you're going to go through periods where you don't like me because you don't understand what we're trying to accomplish. 
And then I think the relationship, what happens is 10 years after you get out of school, you go, ah, that's what he was trying to do. Now that I have little kids, I understand. Now that I coach, you know, eight U, I understand what was going on now. So my why, my why is just total development of the game. And I think if you're a baseball coach and you don't love baseball, you need to, you need to do something else. If it's hard for you to sit down and watch, you know, the sixth and seventh inning of a Pittsburgh Pirate Miami Marlin game, you know, I, I question your why. So I don't know. What do you think, Wes? Uh, Westbrook's is why. Uh, we, I went to Jacksonville State uh, and played college ball, and I think I knew that I was going to Jacksonville State when I, I was eight years old. My, me and my brother, my dad, and my assistant high school coach would go to these clinics and camps, no matter what. No matter what. Uh, Rudy Abbott was the head coach, and so um, my dad on the on the ride up to the to the university would say, "Wes, you you go work with catchers," and he'd tell my brother, "You go work with the infielders." I'll listen to the pitchers and our assistant coach would go to the outfielders. And on that 35, 45 minute ride home, we would all kind of review what we learned so that nobody was missing out, you know, cause I heard Barry Larkin say at one time, he said, somebody said, man, Barry, you, you know, just about all you can know, know about baseball. And he's like, no, I know about 15%. And there's like, why? He said, well, I know a lot about shortstop and I know a lot about hitting the ball to right center, but that's about all I know a lot about it. And there's catcher, you know, so, so saying all that to say, probably when I was 12, I picked up that Ron Polk book and I wanted to know it. I, and, and so as I'm reading it, I'm really wanting to learn about outfield because I didn't play it at that time. I want to learn about pitching because I never was a pitcher. But then I, I'm all into that fertilizer and what times of year. And I'm sitting here at 12 years old knowing all this stuff, like telling my high school coach, no, we're not supposed to plant a ryegrass yet. It's not that window. And I'm like – so, and of course, my dad being that guy wanting to know all about the game to teach us, um, to teach us that. And, uh, and, and then so, so I'm moving to college and I'm, and I'm all taking a lot of time explaining my why. But so I'm moving to my freshman year of college and my dad passes away. And three weeks after he passes away, we finally go back to class, me and my brother. And it's during baseball season. Um, this, they, the English class wrote an essay, um, just about whatever you want to write about. And like some of the better ones were read aloud in the class. And this basketball player wrote the essay about my dad. And there was like 13 names in there. And one was the quarterback, a quarterback at Alabama. One was the current quarterback. Uh, he was writing about this team that my dad coached when we were all 12. And because he came and picked this guy up and because he made this guy run laps before and because he made this guy make a decision and, and he read off like 13 names, a successful banker, a lawyer, a guy's a backup quarterback at Alabama, quarterback at, at Jacksonville State. This player was the best basketball player at Jacksonville State writing this letter. And he talked about how everybody on that 12-year-old team is now successful because of the things that my dad had did in his life. And that kind of got me, you know, especially you can imagine that was an emotional moment in my life. And so at that point, I'm a freshman, not starting, not playing. So I take that role of, I don't care that I'm not playing. I'm just going to learn. So I'm catching bullpens. You know, everybody's, when you're a catcher and you're a freshman, you're going to catch a lot of bullpens. 
and there was a senior catcher in, in front of me. And so I would catch four or five pitches and, and would be working on a changeup or a cutter or whatever. And I would walk up to the mound and listen to what our pitching coach had to say. And I think it was something, something along uh, around those years when I felt like that I knew I was going to be a coach. And then once I became a coach, now the wine was a little bit more of a challenge, competitive. Um, like, for example, when I got to Oxford a few years ago by and they offered this director of football operations thing deal to me. And I'm like, heck yeah, how hard can that be? And, and so I take the bull by the horns and now, now it's a little bit of a leadership thing of like, can I lead whatever group I'm, I'm doing? So I guess growing up, the why was, you know, trying to be able to touch the lives that I felt like that kid was touched by my father. And then it, now it's turned into more of a leadership role, like uh, maybe in 2014, it turned into more of growing the man into being the best version of himself individually. Now I've learned it's more so like making that individual better, which all the pieces of the puzzle come together. It's, we're going to be better for it, but I don't know. So I mean, I guess, I guess that that would be kind of a long, long version of Westbrook's why. But um, when I saw that on the sheet of paper the other day, my why, it just really got me thinking. And then so I was like, I'm going to go back to when I was eight and just riding in the car in that 72 Nova up Interstate 20 and down 21 and just talking about the things that we were talking about, really wanting to die. You know, we didn't have phones back then. We didn't have any distractions. And uh, I, I just thought, I just think that all started back when I was eight and then it kind of transitioned to what maybe I saw somebody else experience besides being the the son of, of, my, of my dad. So, sorry, didn't mean to be long-winded there. No, I love that. And I think that that's absolutely fantastic. And, and for me, I think that your why is kind of like a, a bumper for you because we're going to have really good days and we don't want to get too high and we're going to have really bad days and we want to remember why we do the things that, that we're doing on a daily basis, especially like during the time that we're in right now with, with COVID-19 and all the different you know, changes going on. And I mean, it's just, it's a crazy time that we live in. But, but Wes, you said something about growing men and you, and you really piqued my interest. And, and I know that this is something that has been starting to gain traction as far as, okay, we're going to, mm -hmm. we, we've heard, you want to build the base, the man first That's and right. then the baseball mm -hmm. player second. We want to prepare them to go off and, and, you know, lead change in the world and be, and be leaders and, and, and all of these different things. And, and I absolutely 100% agree with that. But I also don't want that to just become like a buzzword of, hey, the, I'm going to get an interview and I'm going to say, hey, we're going to grow men here and then not do anything about it. And so like we were talking about earlier, I, wanted, I want to give the listeners to this episode a lot of practical ways on how you guys are doing that. Because again, I, I mean it when I say it, you guys are two of the best coaches in the country about doing this. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're great teachers, you're great fathers, you're great husbands, you're you're great at all of these different aspects, but it didn't happen overnight. And you guys have had, you some, know, I'm sure some failures along the way and you've gotten back on the horse and you guys are, are doing a fantastic job now, but can you talk to us about what that means to you? And, and you hit on it a little bit, but then how do you go about doing that? Like what are, what are some ways that we can steal from you about, you know, if we came and followed you around for a week, what are some different things that we would notice? Um, you know, everybody always talks about learning from failures. Um, this one, uh, I kind of learned, I guess, 
okay, so eight years ago we won a state championship. You know, that's kind of like, I guess, a, a coach's, uh, you know, I guess ultimate at the end of the year you sit back and, okay, we, you know, we did all this. And then the, the very next year in 2013, you're like, okay, I want to do things the exact same way. And then I think that year we ended up being 500. And then, and then so a few years passed by and uh, 2014, and I say, even though we won our last game, there's so many areas that I felt like that I had failed those players. And even though that was only eight years ago, I feel like it was 20 years ago because there's some of the things that I, that I did then or, or, or do or and I don't, don't do now. But not, not saying that some of those kids like turned out to be bad, you know, um, but I just felt like I could have gave them more. And I was, I felt like maybe I was more after the scoreboard. Um, and so as far as changing that, I think, I think I spend more time in the classroom with them. And I know everybody's got the little classroom thing now, but I just think it's, there's not really a curriculum to follow, even though there's so many good things out there to follow, you know, your guys and you've got to go like, uh, Brian Kane or can revisit some things that they put in as far as peak performance, you know, in chapter one, chapter two, heck no, we need what's in chapter 17 at this moment right now, because we just had a loss on the road and our guys are feeling down and this is what they need to hear. And so I think the coach, you know, like going back to what I said about Butch earlier, you know, trusting that gut feeling about what your team needs to hear. And um, instead of just copying whether it's something that Davos Swinney did or Nick Saban or what, you know, just kind of being genuine um, about, you know, where we are and what we're doing. And, and then you get those kids to open up and then, and then they start to trust you because, you know, you maybe shared some feelings or something. And then once you can build that trust, um, then I think a lot of growth can happen. Um, and, and, you know, you, in that year of 2014, we were having just an okay season. And uh, I called the players up, a couple of guys that cheated some reps in the weight room. And I called them up and I said, guys, there's nothing going to change. Nothing's ever going to change as, you know, as long as I'm here. You know, do y'all think anything's changed since the last two years? And then the little catcher that year said, yes, sir. Uh, I think so. And I said, you know, kind of that mean voice. I was, you know, what is, what's changed? And he said, coach, you, I think you care about us a little bit more than you have in the past. And that really hit home to me right there because it wasn't like I was doing it intentionally. I just kind of wanted to you know, go a different route about building championship men instead of just winning championships. So, um, so I guess that's kind of an area of, you know, I say it all the time, sailing the right ships. It's, it's, it's about winning championships. Yes. But it's also about relationships and friendships and, you know, teaching them some leadership and sportsmanship and, and all that stuff. So, um, so that's kind of a different angle, I guess now. And, uh, I think, I think the kids tend to, um, you know, go the extra mile if, if you kind of, you know, they don't care what you know unless they know, you know, that you care. So, all right, go ahead, Butch. What was the question? <laughs> How are you growing? Building man? men, building men. I, I, you know, I, I really believe this. I think we, uh, we accidentally hit gold a few years ago when, uh, you know, obviously there's no coach in the country that's going to go, hey, we're going to go out and rob banks and we're going to be <laughs> terrible human beings. Uh, and guys walk in your door and they are what they are and they're a product of their culture and who they hang around and things like that. And uh, we start out basically, we just, we're trying to 
in my situation, and this is not a slide on my kids because they know I say this because I say it to them. Um, I'm at a, I'm at a big school in Tennessee that's kind of out in the middle of no place and we don't get the SEC, ACC athletes. Like Wes is sitting down there with two arms that throw 90 and all he does is whine about it, how they don't have change-ups. Um, you know, I've had, I think in the last 20 years, I think I've had three kids touch 90. And so we were like, wow, everybody's trying to rush the development of the player. So we're going to try to rush the development of the person. So we demand maturity from day one. And if you can't be mature, we're going to show you and teach you and guide you on how to become a mature person. Because we feel like the mature person can funnel information, grasp information, uh, hold on to information. And so we want to we want to try to make that kid mature. And the maturity starts with transparency. We're going to be totally transparent. I mean, we're not going to go, hey, Jonathan, you're a really dumb kid, so you need to pay attention more. We're not going to do that. But we're going to demand that we get focus. Uh, we demand you're going to pay attention to the details of what we're doing down to the minutia, down to the very little bitty, you know, look at the angle of your foot on the lead at first. Uh, I don't let that slide. And to teach maturity, a lot of times I will set them up in a drill knowing that they won't do it right. So I can teach the, the, the little things to them. So we're trying to rush maturity uh, of the person so we can develop the person as the player. You know, something that, that I saw you, you tweet out uh, a little while ago, and, and th those of you who don't follow, you need to, uh, and, and I'll make sure I link your uh, Twitter, both of your Twitter accounts in the, uh, in the show notes, but Butch, Butch is, a, is a tweeter for sure. And you mentioned something about development doesn't mean not trying to win. Like, try, like, and so again, we, we, and I, I'm sorry if I ruffle some feathers here, but we sit, we get so caught up in buzzwords that we kind of swing back and forth and not remembering why it was a focus getting away from the other one. And so I love that, that you're, you're like my guy in the middle that can call out like BS. And so, yeah. And I completely agree with you. It's like, okay, we, we can develop and win at the same time as I think it was a similar tweet to that. And I was like, man, I love that. Like I need to get a book of, Butch's tweets and then just put them down there, use them as daily readers. And then we'll just kind of go from there. But I thought that that was really profound. And I think that that's something that, that we need to listen to. And I, and can you go a little bit more in depth with that? Because I think that that's something that, you know, I know I needed to hear, but I also think that our listeners would, would love to hear. Uh, I think there's a perception by a lot of people, not all people, uh, but there's a, a perception that development stops at first pitch. When, in fact, you practice, you train, and then you use the game as the evaluation of your training. That's how I perceive it. Now, if I'm doing a good job at practice and I'm doing a good job of uh, setting up the practice to help challenge my players and let them experience success and know what works, um, that should carry over into the game. That's the expectation. And if it's carrying over into the game, then they're seeing that what we do is right. And here comes that trust thing. Hey, coach knows what he's talking about. Or, yeah, that really does work. You know, when you do an underhand double play feed, we're going to take and we're going to put our glove in our back pocket. We're going to show the person receiving the ball. We're going to show them the ball. We're going to 
push the ball to them, shake hands with them, and finish by following our toss. And if you do that enough and then you do it in a game, uh, that, that's a checkpoint that development is working. And here's my new movement. My new movement is head coaches stay in the dugout. If you have assistant coaches, put them on the bases. Uh, I think it's an ego thing. I always thought it was an ego thing coaching third base. I want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to wave guys home. And this past year we played five games, and it was the first time in forever where I stayed in the dugout, and it was marvelous. Uh, I got to talk to hitters. I got to talk to pitchers. I got to talk to defenders. I wasn't rushed. and I really think in the first five games, our development was really on an upward swing because I'm a big, you got to communicate. The first thing you learn in our program is you must communicate. And, you know, you communicate on the field, off the field, in the locker room, in the cage. Hey, what'd that feel like? Well, 14-year-old kid, he's not used to telling me what it felt like because he's never been told probably to pay attention to what it felt like. So now I'm getting feedback from them and we're able to make adjustments. So I think development is nonstop and your better summer programs. If you have a really good summer program, it's a coach who is they're practicing before the game. They're coaching and developing and talking about the game during the game. Those summer league teams. Now you add in, you know, good players. Well, you know, there's a, the, the secret sauce, the magic formula is development you know a hamburger is going to taste like a hamburger but if you put uh, lettuce tomato special sauce pickle you put all that on it it's going to taste a little bit better and to me that's what development is i love that wes can you go can you go into that a little bit yeah um so you know when, when i first started coaching i was i wanted to know all about the body and, and what, you know, and then back when, you know, get, get the leg up and pause and like, this is where things are supposed to be. And, you know, during the throwing motion, boom, that's where the elbow is supposed to be. And then the hit. And, and, you know, like the more you think about it, that those things are moving real fast. Like your arms going 80 miles an hour, your swings going 80 miles an hour. And so what I have learned uh, through our necktie group and Butch is kind of the, the captain of, of that group is, um, you know, uh, focus on some more external stuff and, 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 and get them to conversate with you and how that feel. And like the other day, like we have been doing, and of course another drill I got from Butch, um, we have been doing, you know, three balls, four balls, you know, set, you know, with the seven balls across home plate and you know what we're looking for. And so after a uh, summer league game, uh, our second baseman comes up to me and, and I, I saw a couple of his at bats and I really paid attention to him and, and I, I just let him kind of talk through those at-bats. And he said, you know, I was looking for a three, four, five, and that first pitch was a one, and we are already up six to one, and that was probably a six to one strike by the umpire that was maybe a zero or a one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this guy, they're starting to get it. And that's kind of all we focused on all summer is, you know, it was three balls and four balls. And so – and and I got, I got away from – your your hands are supposed to be here. Your, you know, your, your foot's supposed to be here and more so, so um, you know, just little things of, you know, power ground ball right side. And so if a guy is trying to hit a power ground ball to the right side and he pops it up, well, let's, 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 let's make our aiming point just above the midline of the ball. And if he still pops it up, let's aim one inch above the ball 
and just to only talk about that as opposed to your top hand and, and all those things. Mm-hmm. And they're really picking up, picking them up. And, and I've found out that as a coach, the external cue for each individual is different. Like my, my nephew, uh, he's hitting, and all I have to do is challenge him and say, you're going to hit this ball on top of the cage. I know. And he's, and, and he's like, line drop, line drop, line drop, line drop. And then if I don't say anything to him, it's top of the cage, top of the cage, top of the cage. It's like, all right, this is going to the top of the cage. I'm bringing some juice on it, double juice, throw it in there pretty good, line drop. And, uh, you know, just, just finding out uh, instead of 2001 West Brooks where, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to grip the bat. This is how we're going to get in the box and making everybody do the same thing. And, you know, and, that, and it takes a while. It takes a lot. You know, and then you got that develop, uh, the, the trust factor going on when, hey, you didn't say this to me. You said that to him, you know, and they're like, okay, well, I'm different. My body's different. So, um, yes, development, but at the same time, uh, the competitiveness in each player. You know, early in my career, I would, I would label that as a bad attitude guy who was so competitive and he couldn't stand negative body language and all that. I don't want to take that competitive fire out of him. Um, you know, and, and we want to teach guys to become better men. And I tell him all the time, I said, you know, David chopped off Goliath's head and, you know, and, you know, he was a warrior, you know, it wasn't like he, he kind of was nice about it, you know? So when we cross those lines and that all comes, you know, and it all comes with work with um, off season training, uh, putting that sweat equity, you know, putting all that blood and sweat in the bucket. And if it's full, then you go out there with that expectation that I'm going to compete. And uh, that's kind of, I guess, you got to balance that a little bit of development and competitive fire and, and keep them both there when they cross those lines, then they're, they're a warrior. When they're on the outside of the lines, they're trying to learn and grow and mess up and make mistakes. And when they cross those lines, it's, it doesn't have to be pretty, you know, you're going out there to compete. So um, I guess there's a, uh, for me now, there's a little bit of balance between, you know, the development and then going out there and competing because sometimes um, he might do something that you're teaching in the game, but at the same time, I don't want that catcher to think he's got to do it perfect. He just got to block that ball, and keep it from, you know, getting by him. So um, it's kind of a balance, I guess, there. There's no doubt, Jonathan. I think the next catch, catch word in baseball, I'm going to go ahead and call it, and I'm going to say it's growth. You're going to hear top-notch co- coaches talking about growth, how – he started here as a freshman, and now as a junior, he's here. Look at the growth he has experienced. Well, uh, growth is a short word for development. Uh, if you develop, uh, you're growing. And if a player is growing, that means he's getting better. And if all your players are getting better, then your team is getting better, and you're probably going to win more games. But, yeah, no doubt what Wes was talking about, um, you know, I – Wes and I were USA guys and we've been sitting at events and in a golf cart and just kind of, you chuckle because you hear, uh, you know, you hear some coaches who are summer league coaches who they fly guys in from all over or whatever. And we heard one guy and he just kept saying, compete, compete. And I was thinking, I just remember looking at Wes kind (laughs) of chuckling like uh, as this guy, he's probably never told him what his definition of, competing was Mm -hmm. but he couldn't think anything else to say because his guys turned it into a kickball game and he was just wanting them to feel ground balls 
he'd have been better off yelling field ground balls than uh, <laughs> compete. Oh, I love that. That's that's so good. Uh, and something that something else I think that you guys do so well is you are able to develop assistant coaches. And Wes, I know that you've had several that have gone on and and become head coaches and which I know that you yours won. I don't know if he's still your assistant. I'm sure he's highly yeah. sought after, but he won ABCA uh, coach of the year a couple of years ago. And I'm like, dang, these dudes, not only are they developing great players, they're developing great men and they're developing great assistant coaches. So Wes, let, let's start with you. Do you have like a, a way that you go about that is I'm sure I know for a fact that you guys lead by example, but do you guys have side conversations about what they want to do and then how you can help them get that way? And just, you know, how are you guys doing that, that so well? I don't, I don't think I had anything in, in place or, or before. Um, making an assistant coach believe in himself is huge because uh, they're always got that doubt. Like does the head coach approve? Um, and, and, you know, giving them that opportunity to kind of be the head coach of their position is really big. Uh, Adam Mosley said something the other day, and I've already said it this year to our guys. I said, um, you know, if you could have 300 bucks and, and spend to make you a better assistant coach, you know, what would you spend it on? And I did that the other day, and I've already purchased and bought what both the hitting coach and the pitching coach said. Um, but at the same time, I, I find myself the last five years, I said, someday West Brooks is not going to be the head baseball coach at Oxford High School. I would love to be able to tell our principal that, that you're the best guy for the job. And, and I say that to all of our assistants, and I kind of want them to like, oh, holy cow. You know, until you hear somebody say that, they might not have ever thought about that. And, but as far as, you know, just be the head coach of your position, and I'm here to help you. And as long as I see that guy, you know, striving to, you know, and I, I, I in our staff meetings, I, I say, guys, I think it's a crime if we're not out there. We're stealing money from Oxford High School if we're not out there researching and finding some data to back that up to, to give our kids the best opportunity to succeed. Whether it's a $500 supplement or a $5,000 supplement, I think we're stealing from the school if we're not out there finding the best practices and meeting with other coaches and finding better ways to do things. And um, I think one of the questions you had earlier was, you know, a good coach and a bad coach. I, I just think, I, to me, a good coach has a growth mindset and a bad coach has a fixed mindset. But this is the way we've always done it, you know, and that's, that's the way we're going to do it. This is the way we've always done it. And I think good coaches, they try new things. And if it is going to help their team a little bit, they continue to kind of build off that. But if it doesn't, they throw it there. They have the ability to say, ah, that was wrong. I'm throw it in the tank. We're gonna try something else. So, but as far as like you know, a system or anything, I don't. I don't think there is. I just think that you know, just maybe helping that assistant coach believe in themselves, and then slowly turning over a little bit more responsibility and being able to read them. I think I'm a good reader in people, in players, and assistant coaches, and I, I feel like I can tell when a guy's overwhelmed or when he's ready for more. Um, you know, so go ahead, Butch. I, uh, <laughs> this is, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And, uh, one of my assistants, Josh Bayless, he was ABCA assistant coach of the year and he's awesome. But, uh, most of my coaches played for me. Uh, two of them did not. Um, but I, my guys like being assistant coaches. They like me telling them, Hey, this is what we're going to do. They like giving their input several years ago. Uh, I heard somebody really smart say this, and this might be the stupidest thing I've ever heard anybody say. 
even though they're really smart, they said, hey, I don't want yes men. So I thought I'd be cool. And I went in and I said, hey, I don't want you guys to be yes men. So for about a week, everything I said was wrong. <laughs> and I came back after a week and I went, listen, I don't want yes men, but every now and then you got to let me be right, you know, because I got an ego too. And I think what uh, a lot of assistant coaches, I know as a young assistant coach starting out, I always thought I had the best way. And I didn't understand the role of head coach. Uh, my assistant coaches, not one of my assistant coaches has ever said they want to be a head coach. As a matter of fact, uh, like most high school head coaches, during games, I quit about four or five times a year. I can't take this anymore. I'm out. It's all yours. And they're like, you know, from the movie Backdraft, there's a picture in my office and there's a, there's a line in the movie that says, you go, I go, you go, we go. Uh, and I, they made that picture and gave it to me for my birthday and it's behind my desk. And so I'm like, crap, I can't quit or all of them. They're going to lose their jobs. So, um, I, I liked being the head coach. My assistant coaches were all friends. Like, uh, I think in most programs, uh, I know I started out as assistant coach for a head coach and I was afraid of him. Uh, I don't think my assistant coaches, matter of fact, I know they're not afraid of me. They say whatever they want and, uh, uh, they have input and I let them do their thing, but they also know that, uh, uh, you know, I'm the chief and they're going to teach your thing, but my fingerprints are going to be all over everything because, uh, when it comes down to it. I have to be. I have to answer questions about everything that's involved uh, with my team and what's going on. And it's my system. Uh, I let them morph their beliefs into my system. But you know, we're we're headed a different direction or the same direction, and uh, uh, we all have to be on the same page. But it's a lot easier when it's my page and they just write outside the margins what they want. That's really good, and and I I love hearing that, and and I know that it's it's been mentioned a couple of different times uh, about cutting out the noise, and Wes talked about having a growth mindset and being able to, you know, look at new opportunities and try and grow yourself, and but also being able to put them aside whenever they're not working or if it doesn't work for you, and Butch, I know that you're over time you've had to develop that because I think I remember you where you're, were the only like coach at all at one point in time right. at Cookville. And so you, I mean, you had to learn that pretty quick. And I know over time that you've helped me to be able to do that. And, and Wes mentioned that either on or off the mic earlier too, about how you help with the new toy syndrome of like, Oh, that's cool. Let me, you know, go try that. And you're right. able to not only take it in and decide whether it's important or not, uh, but also being able to use it if it if it is and so you're not afraid to try things that are new but you're also you have enough wisdom to be able to take that and and stride and say hey that's that's just not going to work for us here uh so can you can you help us with that because i think that we've all either felt that or if we haven't felt that then we either ha don't have a growth mindset or we're new to coaching because i think you know we go to the abca and see every single booth and i'm like i want one of everything and you just you can't do that well so so give us some advice on that if you don't mind I just think, uh, you know, there's this thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. And I think some guys, man, they get, they're, they're pulled in so many different directions with so many different techniques. And I think I'm a more selective shopper. Uh, and it is because I am older. And I know what I like, but every now and then, like Wes will throw something out and I'll go, hey, that's pretty good. And it could be a little bitty technique thing or 
you know, it, it could be a, a cultural thing or, but I'm a, I'm a more selective shopper. If you put me in a giant store, I'm not rushing in there and buying one of everything. You know, I'm going to look around, see what I like, see if it will help what I'm already doing. Um, you know, Wes and I, golly, we accidentally, uh, a couple years ago in Nashville, we accidentally, uh, we fell into a connection group and that's what I like to call it. And uh, we call ourselves the Nectons and it's kind of a, our secret society of baseball and Wes in a year and a half, two years, I don't think a day's gone by where we haven't connected in the group. You know, somebody's connecting at all times. It's a nonstop running thing. And then East coast goes to bed and West coast, we wake up to what they've said. But uh, you know, I've learned so much in this group and that's, I I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but you know, if I was a young coach, what advice would I give to a young coach? Well, I'd find all about 10, 12 other coaches and I'd connect and I'd make it a regular thing. And, uh, you know, we'd meet at Outback Steakhouse once a month if we couldn't call or Zoom or something like that. Um, but I would connect just as a group. In our group, we are comfortable enough and friends enough. And I, Wes, would you say uh, we see each other maybe in person once a year, twice a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And Wes is one of my best friends. And it's like that. And it's from all over. This group is from all over the United States. And somebody will throw some. And, and don't get me wrong. We went on like a three-day tear where we <laughs> talked about nothing but coffee. Yeah. You know, and made fun <laughs> of guys that use French vanilla and <laughs> stuff like that. But um, we talk a lot of baseball. And, you know, Chuck, Chuck Box is in our group. And Chuck is the master of the chart and master of measuring it. And he, last night, Wes, did you see that? I felt Which so, I oh, felt yeah. so stupid. Cause he He's put got a, a chart for charts. He, he had, he put up a chart and I was like, I had to call, I had to call Jeff Sherman at Marcus in Texas and go, Sherm, what the crud is he talking about? And Sherm, <laughs> Sherm, who is one of the smartest hitting guys in the country goes, I have no idea what he's talking about right there. So we kind of had to work through it ourselves. And finally, we asked Chuck, and he told us. But, you know, I, I get excited when I talk about that Necton group because uh, it has been a godsend. Uh, we help each other with all those problems that high school coaches and college coaches, mm-hmm. there are college coaches in it. And, you know, you're the only one that thinks you're going through this problem and you're embarrassed by it and you're ashamed of it. And then you find out that every coach in the country goes through the exact same thing in a different form. Uh, the coach that goes, oh, I don't have any parent problems is a liar. He is a straight-up mm-hmm. liar. Uh, because if he doesn't know he has, you know, parent problems, uh, then he, he's not paying attention because there's parents out there talking about him. Uh, you know, short of rebellion, every, uh, every coach in America, I don't care who you are, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are pro guys, moms calling managers going, why isn't my kid playing more or something like that. Um, but, uh, I saw that on Twitter. Wes, did you see that on yeah, Twitter I did. Yep. about the commissioner of the SEC has parents call his office <laughs> asking why they're not playing more. Um, it, it's a different time period, but this group that I have, I would tell a young coach, you find guys and you find a core group of guys that you can bounce ideas off of and you're share with uh guys and that's you know i'm i'm up on my soapbox now uh but i think that's where baseball coaches are different than any other kind of coach 
because uh, I think I think in that group we've got the young coach too. Like we know as as and I'm I'm calling myself old. I'm 43. Um, we need that young coach in our group too. You know, it's like going to the clinic. The main stage speakers are great, but it's it's after they the guy speaks and then hey, let's talk about what he just yeah. talked about with with 15 or 20 other high school coaches. Go ahead, go ahead, coach. But but I was going to say, you know, get in that group and bounce. Find yourself a group. That's a new thing. You can. And we've done this where we've read books and we've talked about books. Uh, we've talked about everything. And now it's to the point, uh, the other day I, I got really, every now and then I'll come up with a good, I'll come up with a good topic. And the other day, you know, on one of my 92 mile walks, I was like, okay, guys, here's today's question. And we usually do question of the day. Uh, and it could be a baseball thing. It could be anything. But I said, if your life was a book, how many chapters will it be? And then, you know, we're all rolling and it's an awesome question. And then Chuck goes, I had a guy one time tell me that your life's more like an album and each song represents, <laughs> you know, and I want to different way of looking at that. Yeah, uh, it is a different way, but I want to reach you the fun yeah. punch uh, right in the throat. But. So, so I took that um, question and we, you know, we all kind of listened to it and talk about it. And I find myself two or three days later sitting down at the dinner table talking to my own family about something that we talked about as a group, you know, and asking my daughter, asking my buddy, my brother, you know, if your life was a book and getting everybody's perspective of where they think they are in their lifetime's book. And what, what, what a simple question, but what a great question to be able to, you know, talk about, you know, and, and we'll, we'll do things like this. This is uh, Dave Webb, Tanner Vesley from Corona del Sol, crown of the sun out there in Tempe. Uh, my whole life we bunted and, we held the bat, you know, we, we, we held the bat like that. And Tanner and Dave go, hey, this is how we hold the bat. And it gives you, uh, it gives you uh, more strength in your upper hand, everything like that. They go like this. They go like that. And I went in the cage and off the hack attack before I even taught it. And I started bunting like that and was like, oh, my gosh, I can bunt one hand. I can put it anywhere I want. I have more control than that. Because I'm always saying be strong with the top hand when you bunt. Well, if you do that, you naturally stabilize the bat. See, I got that from that group. And yeah. that's a little bitty thing that could be a lot. And now all my guys, they get me. That's how they bunt. And so my little coaching group with about a 30-second little Marco Polo uh, from Tanner and Dave, uh, they made my team all the way on the other side of the United States. They made them better. And that's just like an example of how our Necton group, how, how it works. And everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. You know, Sherm wouldn't get up and talk about pitching. Uh, but I guarantee if Wes Brooks has a question about hitting, I'm going to call Jeff Sherman. And we did two days ago. And I was out on my field edge and my field up. And I just put the edger down. And we talked for about 45 minutes about the growth and the development of our hitters this, this year. And, um, and, that, just, and that's like, if we have a pitching question, yeah. we, Hey, we go, Hey, Mose, Adam Mosley at Hoover. will go, Mose, uh, how do you do this? How do you hold a slider? Or what are you thinking about when you throw that slider? What's the thought process? Cause Mose in our group, Mosley's he's one of our pitching experts. Yeah. And Tanner, the other night, well, we're all watching the game and he's talking about this outfielder drifting. Hey, 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 Tanner Vesley, tell us, tell us, like, uh, what do you talk to your outfitters about when they drift? And then he goes on a five-minute conversation, 
And, uh, you know, we're all kind of getting that perspective that we don't really get to spend a lot of time with, but I can share that with my outfield coach and talk about that drifting drill that Tanner Vesley in Arizona is teaching us in Alabama how to, you know, play the wind or the sunballs or whatever. And, and again, there, there's obviously more than one way to skin a cat. And we all know that, but, and we all respect that. I think that's what the biggest thing is. We will disagree in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um, and it's a good, you know, I, 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 I rewind back when I coached football and I was the linebacker coach and I, <clears throat> and, and uh, the front coach, the, the defensive line and linebacker coach, and then we had the secondary coach. Well, he wanted that one extra guy to stop the pass, and I wanted that one extra guy to stop the run. And then, of course, our head coach comes in there, and he's like, you know, if, if they're running, you know, I, I just can't handle them running it down our throat. we got to stop the run first. And that coach is mad, and I'm happy. But, you know, and then and sure enough, we played Gaston City that Friday night. Their very first play was a touchdown, a 70-yard touchdown pass. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just kind of di- different ways to do things. And having a growth mindset, you're able to have that open. Uh, and I try so many things. That's, try- and that's what I was going to say. Um, to have a growth mindset doesn't mean you have to do everything Mm -mm. to have a growth mindset is, wow, I really like that. And you explore that. It doesn't mean, wow, he said, hold the bat bat like this when you, but like, as soon as you put this up, somebody's going to go, there'll be some guys that go into the cage by themselves and they'll put the hack attack on and they'll put a couple bunts down and go, that's awesome. And there'll be other guys that go, I don't like that. That's fine. That's absolutely okay. But you tried it. That's the growth mindset. I, we try a lot of things that we end up not doing. Uh, but the growth mindset means you're open-minded to try new things. And as a coach, you know, there's nothing I like more than after a close loss, talking to your team, cleaning up, getting in the truck, and then – spilling out what happened and how guys well you know in our group in our core group of friends that we have that we call nectons guys how could i have done this better you know when that when that pitcher came to me and said coach i got this i want to stay in or whatever you know how could i have handled that better and then within five minutes somebody's letting me know how i could have handled that situation better or maybe i reacted a certain way and you know and butch gets on there and says you know and and it's awesome we all want Wes, you did the right thing. You know, just hearing somebody else tell you that you just didn't make a good decision or helping you through or, you know, I was, a couple of years ago I was wanting to run a player off because of some things and the group talked me out of it and and uh, ended up doing what the group told me to do and now that guy's pitching in college and, and come to our, our alumni day this past year and, you know, and I owe it to that group of guys that maybe helped me through a situation. I said Westbrook's making the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, that I made. And that's, I think that's where COVID kind of made a lot of people realize, you know, cause now everybody's wanting to zoom and everybody's wanting to learn and everybody's wanting to get their own group. And which I think is cool. And, um, and we just, and we I just, know, I know, I'm sorry, Wes. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, Jonathan, you, you alluded to it earlier when I was a head coach for the first time, I was by myself. And I, I mean, you talk about, feeling like you're on an island out in the middle of no place. Uh, I can remember my oldest daughter, who's 30 now, she was little bitty, like little bitty. And I used to tell my wife before games, if we lose, open the gate and send her into the dugout about 10 minutes after the game. 
so I could have her and walk out into the clubhouse. Uh, and I, I was thinking, what kind of mom, what kind of dad would attack a coach who's holding their baby? <laughs> I mean, that's a true story. And I would keep my head down and like look at her and be a good dad and get in the locker. I was using my baby as a shield to get into the clubhouse because I was so by myself. And we as coaches, we take the losses a thousand times worse than any mom, dad, or player ever does. They stay with us. I can remember all my losses. But, um, yeah, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, and I said as a young coach, if I get through this and I coach – enough years I'm going to help anybody in any way that I possibly can and I didn't even know what that meant I didn't know it meant you know uh, hey coach we're the coaches of uh, Alaska could you come on a zoom call absolutely I'll do whatever I'll say whatever could we have a copy absolutely I'll email it to you um, because I don't ever want anybody to feel the way that I felt when I was by myself not that I know it all now. I don't know it all now. But I, I know what I know, and I believe what I know. And with friends like Wes and my other, you know, guys in that group, um, you know, I think I get smarter every day uh, because of them. And, you know, I, I think everybody in our coaching group, Wes, uh, they do not hesitate to share. They, they, I want Wes to win. I want him to have great relationships. I want him, uh, I'm living, you know, and every year, it seems like every year, two or three of our guys win a state championship. And I really, Wes, Wes can back (laughs) me up. I'm as excited as they are when they win. Cause I feel like, man, we've been talking about that. And he did that. He asked us a question. Uh, and we answered and he did it and it worked, you know, where's our ring, that kind of yeah. thing. But, uh, I'll tell you what was cool is, is listening to, uh, Eric Borba and coach Halpert from Harvard Westlake go through pitch by pitch. They played each other. Yes. And so they're in the Trinity league in California and they also played in the finals of the NHSI and just hearing them go pitch by pitch, first and third, two balls, one strike, what would y'all have done? You know, and we, some of us saw it on the live stream and some of us didn't, and, you know, we all kind of said what we were going to do and how we would have defended it, and, you know, and Butch probably would have delayed stole, uh, you know, Halpert probably squeezing in first and third, and, and, then, and, and then Borba say, okay, this is what we did. And then, and then you, and it plays out, and then Halpert talks about, I, if it happened again, I'd do the same thing, and Borba would say, you know, so – just and, and I, it was a shame that everybody's season got cut short because that's the part that I look forward to the most. You know, you have this all nine months of off season that we can talk about how we're going to do things, and then now it's time to go get messy and go get dirty and get your hands dirty, but still be able to bounce ideas off with your buddies. And that's that was a really really cool uh, thing. And and to know Butch's rules in Tennessee and California rules uh, for high school baseball in Arizona, nobody's and everybody's different. And, you know, I, I like what, how we do things, but then there's also some things of being on the baseball committee in Alabama. I like the way Mississippi does some things with their high school baseball. And I kind of want to bring those ideas to the table. So it kind of gives you a good perspective of where you fit and where you are on a national level as far as how high school baseball is treated, um, how college baseball is treated in your state. And uh, just kind of opens your eyes to some other ideas that, we would never know of how they do things. And, you know, up there in the Carolinas with 
March. Wow. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> I'm going to try and unpack some of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And wow, that was really good, guys. So thank you uh, for for all of that. Really. Um, but yeah, it's it's Twitter used to be that for me. Like it used to be a place that we can all share that. But it, it seems like uh, it is on the downhill slide as far as openly sharing information. And so uh, I think that that having a having a great group like you guys are talking about is. I mean, just to ask any question because we're not made to be individuals and we're not made to be alone. We're not made to be in quarantine. We're not made to be, to do everything by ourselves. And, and then we're just, even if you are an introvert, it's something that running stuff by other people is only going to make you better. And, and I love you. Obviously it comes through very clearly that you have love and respect for every single one of those guys because they make you better uh, on and off the field. And that's really, really cool. But but you you kind of piqued my interest. You said the word parent, and it's something that every high school coach has. I, I guess you could say deal with it would be a nice way to put it. But I mean, it's something that comes up with almost everybody. Great coaches, bad coaches. Everybody has uh, parent issues to some degree. Some more than others. Some less than others. And so, what what's kind of your strategy on making sure that? I, I guess to put it bluntly, making sure that they are a, an advocate for the team and the player and not out to get you on a daily basis. I'll tell you what, a great goal to have as a, as a coach is to make it a priority that your parents' conversations with their baseball player, because their parent has a, has a son or a daughter and they're going to have certain kind, but as a baseball player, try your best as a head coach. Learn this from David Sharp. Try your best as a head coach to get the conversation on the ride home in the car and at the dinner table to match up with the conversations we're having in the locker room, in the dugout, in the weight room. And so the, the best years for and just being clear and having clarity on all phases of what even, – even on like measuring a freebie or our quality of bats, you know, uh, the one year and, and shame on me for not doing this every year, but the one year I laid it out all on the table for all of our parents. And there's obviously some stuff you want to keep tight with just your team, but sharing with the, the parents. And uh, of course, again, I'm referencing David Sharp about, about getting everybody with two feet in the circle. Um, and, and Butch will tell you all the time. He, he reminds me all the time that Wes, you, you never, cause you always got the guy that, you know, if he's in the starting lineup, the parents two feet are in the circle. If you're if you're DH for him, there there's there's two feet out of the circle, or, or you know, one foot in and one foot out. And then if he's on, on the bench, then they've got two feet out of the circle. So um, so you, you got to understand that that's always going to happen. But just kind of being clear about the expectations of your program and what we're trying to teach these kids as far as body language goes, and you know, not a lot like for example, a conversation on the way home was, hey, how come Coach didn't have you in a starting lineup? And we try to tell our parents, like, you know, immediately when you found out when you were not in the starting lineup, what type of teammate were you at that moment? And, and how, what did you do to help your team uh, accomplish the daily goal when you realized you wouldn't? You know, did you go keep a chart? Did you, were you watching the break time in the bullpen? Uh, were you helping the catcher? Were you, about, you know, speed up catcher or whatever you were doing? Did you do everything – to give your team a chance to win. And that's the conversations we'd like for our parents to have. And, but at the same time, okay, there's obviously, I've got to get better. I've, I've got to get better. Uh, there's no substitution for hard work. Nothing in this world is given, ever given to you. You got to earn it. 
and I've got to get better. And then if you have those conversations with those parents, I, I, I like to have mine in January, which I don't know when you have your first like, big time parent meeting, but I feel like in January uh, we've got majority of, I don't think there's one time in the year that we've got all parents there just because, you know, we're, we're kids are playing other sports and they got games and practices. But in that first week back in January, I want to lay out the expectations and talk about some things that their child is going to go through, especially the freshmen, you know, just not getting, obviously getting on the field. But I've also learned this too from Butch Chaffin is if that freshman or sophomore never gets in the game, he kind of starts losing some hope. I learned that through Butch all the time. And this year, this year, if it, it wasn't if it wasn't for Butch, our team would still be inexperienced. But I started four or five freshmen the last three or four games of the year, thinking about next year. Another thing I learned from Butch is is putting those gifts, and then now they've got a little taste of what it is. Now their work ethic and their development during the summer is a little bit better because they got a little taste of what it's like. And I would if it wasn't for Butch uh, telling me some of those things and some of my close coaching friends, then I think we would still be inexperienced. But uh, he taught me how to always think about next year, always have next year in your mind, and and that kind of keeps that kid, you know, at least he have some hope. So go ahead, Butch. I'll let you piggyback off that since I learned a lot of that from you. Well, I just um, – I mean, if you look at your parents and, you know, you look at your team and they're in uniform, if you squint your eyes and put all the parents on a team, uh, it'd be a direct reflection many times uh, of what the players are. And you're never going to have all the – you're never going to have all the parents in, even if their kid's doing everything right. Um, parents want their kids to play because as a parent, I only have to worry about one person. As a head coach, I have to worry about 40. And I have to worry, you know, they're all in different places as far as, you know, that development mm -hmm. and that growth. And, you know, I, 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 can, I will admit this. As a young coach, I used to put kids in on purpose who were overwhelmed just to prove to their parents that they weren't ready. You know, this dad's given me uh, a lot of guff about, ah, his kid was, you know, uh, all uh, world when he was in 8U and why he's going to play second baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. And I, I will admit, I'd put that kid in as a freshman or a sophomore when he was not ready against that guy throwing 90 miles an hour, just so that 90-mile-an-hour guy would blow balls by that hitter and then I kind of look at the parent and go and say, I was right the whole time. Um, you know, and I'm, I, I don't think I do that anymore uh, because now I'm secure in myself. Uh, I know when a kid's ready or it, most of the time I know when I'm ready. Have I ever thought, hey, this kid's not ready. And then I put him in and he produced. Absolutely. And it usually happens on the pitching side. You know, you put in a guy, he's, he has very little velocity, throws 72 miles an hour and he can spin it. And he gets, uh, you know, three 375-foot fly balls on a 380-foot center field. And the dad's like, yeah, you got all three outs. And you're like, oh, my gosh, they just hit two miles worth of home runs right there. Um, but I think, uh, I think what happens is, and I do this, I focus like uh, on that one bad parent. Oh, that parent doesn't like me. Oh, that parent's making noise. And sometimes I take my – I take my mind off of, oh my gosh, I'm working for that 99% of good parents who are working the concession stand and they're doing everything they're supposed to do and they're raising a good kid. And, you know, I take my eye off that like we all do. And I worry about the problem and I dwell on it. Um, and, and 
I think you got to, just like your team, you got to keep the majority of good kids on your mind because that's who you're working for. That one parent that doesn't like you, they're never going to like you. And there's no way you can win them over. And even when their kid becomes a starter, they're going to go, well, he should have been starting all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to win them. Uh, some people are just angry at the world and they're angry at every situation and nobody's going to take advantage of their kid. Uh, and as a coach, you just got to get used to that. You know, if, if everybody likes you, what is that saying, Wes? If everybody <laughs> likes you, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. That's and right. I have to, I have to do by, I have to do right by my team. And it's hard enough to coach my team, but then I see coaches out there, they're trying to coach their team, my team, their parents. Um, you know, I, I don't need the, the parents to jump in a single file line behind the team, but they need to be behind the team. They don't have to be in single file, but they need to be with it. And you better know this, that if, if you're talking about somebody else's kid to another parent, as a parent, if you're talking about another kid, uh, somebody's talking about your kid. And so, you know, you hold your enemies close. Uh, what is that? You hold your friends close <laughs> and your enemies closer. Um, you know, just I would say as a coach develops thick skin. And if you're the, you're the kind of person that you worry about what everybody says about you or posts on social media, then you're not going to be in it for very long. So don't get in it at all. Uh, I saw a thing where it was talking about, we have a problem in our state. We started a mentor program. Uh, the average high school baseball coach in Tennessee is now staying in it for three years and then they're getting out. And I think they're getting in because, you know, it's all warm and fuzzy and we're going to have cool hats and win <laughs> championships. And the first time that dad that's been coaching their kids since he popped out of the womb says, my kids hit third his whole life and you've got him batting eighth. What are you doing? You know, because parents are bolder than they've ever been. Uh, you know, those guys are like, wow, he doesn't like me. You know, that kind of thing. And they, they don't get paid enough to put up with it, you know. Oh, that's really good. And, and again, thank you guys for being so transparent, which uh, if, if it's one word that you, both of you are, that that's definitely a good one. You're not afraid to share anything and everything. Is there anything besides, and you mentioned this, earlier butch you said talking about other players kids is off limits and something else that that a lot of people will refuse to talk about is playing time right uh, about the the player the the kid and his parents to the kid or his parents Absolutely. is that something that you talk about with parents or is that something that's off limits as well i think i'm in the one percent there i'll talk to you about your kids playing time i mean uh that's why they're there they want to play but if you come at me and you think it's going to be a one-sided conversation, you're really wrong. So if you want to talk about your kid's playing time, why he should be playing, you're going to stand there and listen to me tell you why he's not playing. And you're not going to like what I'm probably going to say. So we'll talk about playing time. If you want to come at me with playing time and bring your yellow legal pad, give me a, give me a couple minutes to jot down a few things about your kid because chances are I already have in one of these 900 notebooks I've got. And, but if you come at me about playing time, you may not like what I'm going to say. And you're going to stand there and listen to what I say. So with that said, I don't have a lot of parents come at me about playing time. And I would, we do have a rule. Don't you dare come at one of my assistant coaches about playing time. Cause, uh, many times parents, um, 
you know, I, I'm trying to be politically correct or whatever, but many times uh, they won't come to the head coach because in their mind, if they pop off about the head coach, then I'm going to penalize their kid. So they're attacking my integrity right there. Because, uh, I, you know, I play I, – I've told people this before. I'd bench my mom to win a baseball game, and I'd play a pony in right field if I thought that gave me an advantage. But, you know, they'll come to assistant coaches and they'll ask questions. They don't realize the assistant coaches are about to walk about 45 feet into the coach's office and tell me exactly what just happened. Uh, whereas I'd take it better if they just came at me and I could tell them what I thought too. Wes, you got anything on that? Uh, just, you know, I think, uh, I think the kids know, the players know. Um, Absolutely. I will say that some of my best friends now came from like a, like a big time heated conversation when a parent maybe was upset at playing time and, and the biggest answer that I've got is all of our coaches know the percentages. Like everybody knows, like if a, if a guy's throwing 93 and, and an 84 mile hour slider and, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, chances are player A is going to strike out about 40% of the time. Uh, player B is going to strike out about 80% of the time. And we know that because we've spent time with that kid and we know those percentages. And, you know, yeah, you, you'll have your parent to come to practice every now and then and, you know, maybe they do – but we know, uh, and coaches know, and we don't wish our jobs on anybody. We're like, Wes Brooks is the only guy in the city of Oxford that makes out the varsity lineup, and I don't wish that job on anyone. I appreciate that responsibility, and a lot of thought and a lot of thought process uh, with our coaches goes into you know. And and, and I tell you what, um, there, there are some years to where you got more buy-in than others, and, and I go back to year 2016 and second round of the playoffs, game three, we split, you know, two out of three, and we. And I called a player in the locker room, and I told him he was more valuable on the bench than he was in the game. Imagine telling that to a player, but getting that player to buy in. And so here it was. He's the fastest kid I've ever coached, the best base runner I've ever coached. He could speed up run for the catcher, the pitcher, or he could pinch run at any moment. And I knew it was going to be a one-run ball game. And, but if he hits and goes one for three, we've only got one opportunity. And if there's a slow runner on in front of him, and, and, uh, and that player, um, obviously, and, and that parent talks about, obviously the parent probably saw, you know, meaningful, most meaningful game, and, and they're in the bleachers, and, you know, and they were probably hot at me and upset. And sure enough, he steals third in a crucial situation with less than two outs, ends up scoring on the fly ball, and we ended up winning two to one. And uh, I, I say that story a lot uh, because, you know, a lot, you know, how, how much thought did we go through as coaches to say, this guy's really better as a bench player today than as a starter because he might it, – he was a lefty. He was a lefty versus lefty. And, you know, he might get on base one out of four times. And um, so there's a lot – you know, a lot of that parents don't see, parents don't know. Uh, that kid, he, he goes MVP. He's, he's at LaGrange College, in, an, in, uh, an outfielder at LaGrange, and he was MVP of their conference tournament last year. And, um, Ron, and Jonathan – Jonathan, I'm sorry, West interrupt. No, no, no. I, I think parents sometimes forget that – the coach and the player, they wear the same uniform. We're on the same team. Yes. We're trying to get the same objective. They see uh, the coach is that third wheel, and Adam Mosley talks about it all the time. Uh, you're a genius if you can win that 10-minute car ride home. If you can win that 10-minute car ride home with everybody on your squad, great things are going to happen. <laughs> but I don't think it's ever happened in the history of baseball. 
Um, you know, they start out as younger players. They're just happy to be on the varsity. I've heard that. I've had people tell me they're just happy to be here. And I, in my head, I think, yeah, in two years when they're still sitting over there, I wonder how happy they're going to be, you know, because they're going to put in a lot of time and how happy are they going to be uh, over there? There's a uh, coach in Tennessee and I won't say his name, um, but he's won some state championships and they were in the state championship game. And he put a, I think the story goes, I could be telling it totally wrong. Uh, he put a defender in for the kid. The kid had started a majority of the games, but he knew he needed a good defense. So he sat the kid down. Well, the kid made such a scene in the dugout before the game that he put the kid out of the dugout. And the kid's dad stood at the edge of the dugout yelling at the coach the whole time. <laughs> They win the state championship, and the dad is still yelling at the coach. <laughs> so even in the highlight of your coaching career, you can't enjoy it. You can't. I'll tell you two things um, that we talk about in that January meeting is what you can come to me as a parent talk about and what, what, what you can do, what your son can do to improve his chances of getting more playing time is the conversation that we want to have. And so it goes two ways as well, because in that parent meeting, I get them to write down their son's go individual goals. Yeah, Wes does a really good job with this. He does a great and job. It, and it's like 30 doubles, okay? Okay, like we're writing down our team goals, state championship. Okay, if we don't accomplish these two things, if your son does not accomplish these two goals, what type of experience do you want your son to have? And write that on the back of that index card. So they write on the back of the index card. I compile all of those along with the players, I ask them the same question. And then I read all these answers to our assistant coaches. And 90% of them say they want feedback. So I think it's our job as coaches, and Butch does a really good job with his Find Out Friday, um, is giving that feedback, positive or negative, just giving them feedback on what they can do to get better. And I think as coaches, we get so lost in the season sometimes. I'm, I'm one of the worst at this that my communication with the non-starter or the reliever or the pinch hitter, I don't have that conversation in two weeks. But if we have that open door like Butch has, on, I think I do mine on Wednesdays just because that's a light day in the weight room and we got some extra time. You know, come, let's sit in the corner and talk about what you can do to earn uh, uh, some more playing time. And, and, you know, and then that goes back into the feedback with the player and the parent and have that open door of feedback. Not necessarily playing time, but feedback. And then obviously the parent's right on there have a great experience, create lifelong memories and stuff. And I tell our coaches, yeah, we're all wanting to win championships, but let's remember that we're coaching for these things because they're with us for four years and they're going to be out there in the rest of the world for 60. And we want them to come back on alumni day and we want them to come back on our banquets and, 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 and share our brand with others. I was talking to a player yesterday and and they that team won a state championship, but he was telling me about how he didn't like his coach and how his coach was, you know, did some certain things to him. Well, that it, just imagine if I was a, a player wanting to come to that school or had a decision to go, you know, that's so we want people to share our brand. And if we're, we're giving feedback and we're helping kids grow, um, I think uh, the parent at the end of the day, maybe they're not happy with playing time, but did my son get better by being in, in this program? Did he get better? Did he be? become a better man did he become a better athlete or whatever and that's I think that's the thing when a kid stops growing and we're not giving that kid feedback then I think the parent that's when they get angry so um I thought that's a pretty cool little exercise and then obviously you know giving that parent the 
a chance to come and talk about what they can do to get better in there. And I've had some of those conversations. And yeah, and I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. I'm done. Keep in mind, we go, we go over it with our parents and we give them this big long handout and it's got a bunch of stuff in it <laughs> and no, anybody listening to this, I'm not mailing that to you. Uh, <laughs> that's like one of those things we we're going to keep that in house, but I give them this big long thing about team, team, team. And as soon as I go, are there any questions? They'll ask a question that I just answered. Um, I think parents sometimes can love their kids so much that they become blind uh, right. I had a mom come at me several years ago and she was like, why is my kid not playing more? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. In my mind, I'm like, why is she asking this? And she goes, I've got it right here. Uh, he has 16, he has 20 at bats and he has 16 hits. Now, Jonathan, without knowing anything about the situation, if you had a kid that was 16 for 20, would that kid be playing every game? Yeah. Okay. She thought she didn't know anything about baseball, but she loved her kids. So this kid had grounded out. He was 0 for 20, but he had grounded out because he wasn't very strong. He had grounded out 16 times. Well, he had grounded out to the pitcher like four times. And she was like, why is he not playing more? And I'm like, how the heck did he get 20 at bat? (laughs) So parents love their kids. And I'd like to, you know, I'd like to kind of book in the other end of that with, Parents love their kids, and sometimes they love them so much that they become blind uh, to the big picture, and that's okay. That's what parents are supposed to do. They're supposed to love their kids. That's right. And I tell, I tell, I start the meeting off. I was like, "Look, you know, and number one, Westbrooks will never hold anything against a player because of something a parent said to me. I'll never do that. I don't think it's that, fair to the kids. That's, that's almost dangerous. I think most coaches, it's almost dangerous saying that out loud." Because uh, I think some parents will use that against you. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just kind of letting them know, like, um, you know, hey, you can come in here and talk about playing time. And, and, and they'll start it off. You know, they'll, they'll kind of tiptoe. But that, that just goes back against the, you know, the relationship that's, you know, that you, you better be ready to, to hear the truth. You know, and if you're not ready to hear the truth, and then the blinder's like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. Um, and, then, and then they go home and they talk about it, and the kid probably breaks down starts tearing up and like, yes, I have been showing negative, negative body language or I have, you know, I, I, the last three times I hit against 85, I, I can, t- I didn't touch it, you know? So, um, but, it, but it's, it's been good relationship builders to be honest. Um, is, uh, is those, some of those conversations because they come in that meeting, you know, kind of heated. And there's been a couple to where like, Hey, we got to stop right here. Um, and, and, and care this to, you know, get your athletic director in that meeting just because, you know, some things that, you know, there's some parents are going to be immature, but for the most part, the, the conversations and the relationship after that tend, tend to be a little better. No, that's really good. And uh, again, thank you guys for being transparent because it's something that comes up all the time and you guys have gotten to experience a lot of it. And, and so uh, again, thank you. But we're going to go ahead and, and skip to the lightning section. And I'm, I'm just going to ask you guys a, a couple of quick hitters. And you can go in depth if you want to, but they're, they're kind of they're meant to be a little bit quicker questions. But again, we, we've, I've got all the time in the world for you guys. So if you want to go more in depth with it. But, but you mentioned this earlier. And so, Wes, I, I want to talk about, you know, your first year self. What would you change? Or, or if, any, if you had any first year head coaches this year, what would you, what would you tell them? Like, what would your advice be? It's a short answer, Wes. <laughs> well, I thought I knew it all, 
And if I didn't know it all, I'd call my college coach. Now I would say get a membership to the ABCA and go to these national clinics because you realize how dumb you are. Um, if I was a first-year coach and I'd start over, I think it took me eight years to even join our state's association. And I would just dive in deep and realize, you know, and just realize that there's so much more out there to learn. Go ahead, Butch. Uh, set up a coaching circle. It could be two other guys. It could be 10 other guys. But set up a coaching circle. Uh, guys that they can soothe your ego when it needs to be uh, pumped up and guys that can snap you out of a funk. Uh, set up a coaching circle and get your kids in the weight room as much as you possibly can. So with both of those, is it not being afraid to ask for help? Mm -hmm. Oh, no doubt. I love that. That's something that I uh, wish I, I had done earlier. I know as a coach, a first-year coach, and Wes, I'll make this quick. As a first-year coach, it's not that I didn't ask for help. It's I didn't know who to ask for help. <laughs> and if you got those little circle of friends, that little circle you got, it uh, like Butch knows when something's bothering me he'll reach out to me in a text message and say, Hey, what's up? Let's talk. Um, so, you know, whether, whether if it's, you know, you can other, uh, your friends can read you, your wife can read you, your dog, you know, so when you, when you're with a circle of friends, it's not, not only getting better, but Hey, what's bothering you uh, in your life in general. Um, so I think that's huge to, to just help you get through a season, a year, all season, in season. So it's just good to have someone to be able to release you know, maybe you're having a parent problem. You know, somebody else to talk to that maybe has been through that. All right, Wes, since you're talking, what's your favorite competition that you do? Oh, wow, favorite competition. Uh, this could get long, so stop me. Please, okay. Wes, please. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to go real fast. I'm going to talk real fast. We, we come in the team room and we meet, and when we dismiss to go to practice, it's a competition between who cleans the locker room and who cleans the team room the best. You're up one to zero before you get to practice. Once you get to practice, you got the black team and the gold team. <laughs> one team's getting loose. So we're measuring that. And then we're measuring during practice. And then after whoever wins practice, one team's cleaning up, one team's running sprints. The team either cleaned it up great and they're up one to no going one to zero going into tomorrow. Or the team that ran the sprints, they run it to the best of their ability. And the guys that were cleaning the dugout leave something in the dugout. So it's I think when you make that a part of every single day, there have been some times to where I ask my coaches, guys, are we competing too much? Because there's a couple of maybe fights. Uh, not fights, but just scuffles like some, you know, because they, they get so competitive. Um, but believe it or not, some of those times are some of the years, some of our better years because they, they just go out there and compete. So um, my answer to that would be as a coach, try to compete in everything that you do because that just kind of ups the ante a little bit of and kids love to compete so go ahead butch i just we compete but we don't go all right everyone we're competing we don't do that because uh, i want it just to naturally be a part of them and i want to see uh who competes uh you know in a normal environment so uh we compete but we don't like pass out popsicles or give out pizzas or anything like that. Uh, I think the area we compete the most in uh, is again, it's going to be uh, sprint work on the track. It's going to be in a weight room um, because I think they have more of a fair shot uh, of an equal measurement there. 
if I put four plates on the bench or this front squat, uh, and you can only put two, uh, I mean, compete all you want. No, I love that. And I, you know, something, something funny, the last time that I uh, did a podcast with Wes, we went into all those different competitions and all I'm thinking about is, man, he's, he's must have like this, just like 15,000 managers to be able to record all of this stuff. Tell you what you call You don't call them managers. You call them coaches. You know, if a kid, maybe borderline not making a team, you just say, Hey, can you come be an assistant coach or be a student coach? Uh, and, and they tend to want to, and I'll tell you what, there's this kid named Anthony Green. And you go to his Twitter account right now, it says mayor of Oxford, uh, or future mayor of Oxford. Okay, so he's a freshman in my class, and I approach him. We need a filmer. We need a manager. We need, we need some front toss guy or whatever. We need a chart guy to do our MVP. And our kids fell in love with that boy. And now uh, he's got a job at our park. That's where I'm at right now. Um, he basically we, – we host the Gulf South Baseball Conference Tournament and the OVC Softball Conference Tournament and the OVC Track Tournament. And you, you go to our city athletic director and you look at, the, look at the list of who's in charge with what, and, and Anthony Green is in charge of like 15 things. And, um, you, know, he, you know, after like the first or second year, he's given us, you know, thanks for the baseball team. He don't give us the credit anymore. Now he's, he's on the – but I'm telling you, he was a freshman. And quiet kid in class, wasn't involved in anything, and now he's got on his Twitter account mayor of Oxford uh, because he, he does so much stuff. So, um, and, and those kids, uh, those coaches, they sit in our team meetings, and they're part of our team. And anytime we do some sort of dinner or a banquet or whatever, um, our kids tend to tend to trip. Because, and, and, again, it goes back to the coaches. We've got to brag on how valuable he is by keeping correct charts, by filming and allowing us to critique the play players and get the information back quick to them and uh and and then some of those guys are working in behind the scenes on mlb teams now you know that that are you know that are so valuable at at dissecting that information and giving it back to the coach or to the player um and then now letting those kids know that there's futures for those type guys sorry too long on that one yeah it, it must must be something different uh down there in Oxford about what quick cater means. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Bush, what does, what does find out Friday? Find out Friday is every Friday while our kids are going through their lift, I set up two chairs facing each other. I sit in one and I wait. And if that chair's empty, somebody fill it. And if you come over, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds of where you stand and how I feel about you. Uh, about every other Friday, they can ask one question. They can ask one question, and I have to give them an honest, uh, an honest answer. I love that, Wes. I'm I'm coming back at you. <laughs> we're gonna Bye. we're gonna try a quick hitter again. This one and this one's tough because we could do an entire show about it. But we hear the the buzzword culture all the time, right? So what is culture? Oh my gosh, I, you know when you when you try to describe your own culture or somebody's culture, I think I don't think you can. I just think you feel it. Um, so there's been some times where we've had some first year coaches come into our program. And after that one year, I ask them, what do they think? Uh, or maybe just somebody that spends about two weeks around you and you ask them almost maybe like a consultant, but not on purpose, not, not so that that person is trying to see what it's like, just them hanging out and say, what did you notice? And for us, for Oxford baseball, I hear discipline. I hear paying attention to detail. And I hear toughness a lot. 
Um, and there's been some years to where we try to dissect what our culture is and we don't even come up with those words. And I'm thinking, looking here as a coach, like, oh my God, like, I want, I want to know what, uh, uh, if Butch come to watch our game, what did he see? And then, and then also I want to get better. So, hey, what would you change about it? But, but what does everybody else that's watching us play? What do you feel? What do you see? And um, so I think the, the definition of culture can be something different than what it really actually is. It's, it's something out there. It's the it, like that, that team has this. Um, so I think it's kind of hard to define, so, but, but you can kind of like maybe ask some people that are kind of close to the program of what you experienced this year and, and what could we do to make that better? Butch, what do you got? Um, culture. It's behavior. It's how you do it. I think if more people would let culture be the teacher, they'd have a better culture. I think I'm going to do like the hands clapping emoji for that. Very succinct. <laughs> very nice. Very, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, we're going to end with the resources question. And I mean, besides literally the Necton group that they could probably all find hashtag Necton on Twitter, besides the ABCA, what, what are some just different practical resources? And, and again, if you could buy like one book or you could recommend one thing, uh, to any of our guests that are listening, that's going to help them grow. Like if they're searching for something that they know that you know is going to help them get better as a coach, what would you say? Hmm. There are so many things out there. Like Driveline offers Driveline Plus, and the, the, there's the Inner Circle Peak Performance Group, and there's so many. So if you're wanting to improve in a certain area as a coach, um, heck, you can go to Twitter and just type in the search and and do your own research because you like I can I can type in Google right now and and you'll get a thousand answers on swing down and a thousand answers on swing up. Well do your own research and find out what's better and how you're gonna get it across for your guys. So um I think it's probably more so what what to weed out and make sure you're not going down that that hole. But but there's so many things out there, you know, just get off the couch and, and do some research yourself. Go ahead, Butch. Uh, I think if you're buying books on how to coach baseball, you're probably already behind. Uh, I think you need to read books that expand your mind with technique. Um, you know, I think if you would read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl uh, and you learn about suffering, if you want to know about stay in the moment, and if you've ever said, hey, we want to stay in the moment, but you've never read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, step outside your comfort zone and read books that have SAT words in them. Um, mm -hmm. I know how to turn a double play. I like how I turn a double play. If West goes, Hey, it'd work a little better. Uh, if when you pass the baseline, you go thumb under, uh, I do it in a minute. But as far as the baseball part of it, uh, I like what I do. And if I want to pick up new baseball techniques, I'm going to pick it up from, uh, my coaching circle. Cause those guys, uh, I would hand them, my wallet, I'd hand them my passport, I'd hand them my life. That's how much these guys mean to me. Uh, so if I want baseball, I'll go to a human. But if I want to know about culture, behavior, uh, psychodynamic, socio-environmental behavior, uh, I'm going to read a big book. Um, I'm also not afraid to experiment on my players. Uh, I think a lot of guys, uh, especially this freaked me out being on national teams. Uh, cause I'd say, Hey, do you throw a changeup? No, my, my coach didn't want me to throw one. He was afraid it'd mess me up. Uh, how many 
really good players have never been coached. They're just really good at baseball. Um, so, I, you know, I experiment with my players. Hey, try this. Uh, I don't like how that looks. Try this. I, I think if you're not doing that, uh, you're not doing uh, – if you haven't messed up a player and then fixed him, then you probably haven't coached a lot. You know, sure. uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. This is my long one, Wes. Um, <laughs> I'd also like to say – um, you guys out there that, uh, you know, don't know when to shut up and you're over coaching, please get in contact with me. Cause I want to play you. I see so many guys over coaching and they get in their own players way. We have to, you have to holster your ego. And sometimes you just got to trust what you did in practice and let your guys play. That's a good you know, comment. But, I, but I've seen, I've seen so many guys. Uh, all of a sudden they realize they haven't done anything in three innings. So now they have to put the bun on to show everybody who the coach is. The guy pops it up. They double the runner off and what could have been a scoring opportunity. Now they just took it away from their team and the other team scores three in the bottom half of the inning and goes ahead all because that guy overcoached. There was no need to do that, but he felt like, Oh, I've got to interject into the game and I've got to start coaching. Uh, and I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I hear guys talk about development, and they got 40 guys on their team in the dugout, and they play the same nine guys every game of a three-game series. And then they can't figure out why they have those roller coaster years. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know Wes has become like this. I'm like this. I've become famous in the state of Tennessee because I got 21 guys on my roster, and I'm trying to get 20 into the game. And the only reason the other kid isn't getting in is he's tomorrow's starter. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've heard Butch say is, I want my worst player to be better than your worst player. Yeah. And I think that's a good goal to have as a coach, you know. And, and to piggyback off of what he just said, our job as coaches is to eliminate our job so that the player can own it. And then once he owns that technique or that position, then they can reach new levels. And going back to uh, the resource, every time I've talked to baseball coaches, Tanner Vesley, uh, Nick James, you know, any of these guys, they all bring back the book legacy. And if you're, a, if you're a baseball coach, I think you've got to have that in your coaching library. And, and because the pass the ball, sweep the sheds, and just it's a really good book to help a kid get through high school baseball and get him prepared for life afterwards. Hey, and you don't think we're smart? Jonathan, you don't think in our coaching group, the Nectons, we have a really good baseball coach who did active duty as a Marine. So you talk about that dude dropping life nuggets on us left and right, Brian Matson. Guys, he's a rock star in our group uh, because he brings a different perspective. So, yeah, yeah, that dude keeps it real daily. I love that. And, and we're going to wrap up here. Uh, I think that episode number 201 needs to be uh, what grinds Butch's gears. I think that would be an, an awesome, awesome segue to <laughs> To the next one. Yeah, I can uh, walk it, out of this room and get hit by a car. And if I if that happens, I want to I want everybody to know what I was thinking. I love that. So, <laughs> I love that. Well, you I'm gotta not, promise us episode number four hundred, it's Wes and I again. There you go. Well, get, you got it. If if I get to that many, we will absolutely do that. But uh while I've got you guys on, I just want want you guys to leave our, our coaches with something. I know you guys have so much experience and you've changed so many lives and and again, it's you guys have changed my life and and the the players that that I get to coach on a daily basis are a small reflection of you guys as well. 
Uh, but Butch and Wes, uh, let's start with, with, with you, Butch. Is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners before you go? And then, and then when he's done, Wes, if you don't mind uh, closing us out, I'd love to, to bring you in. Hey, I'll just, I'll try to make it really quick. Um, coaches who are listening to this, especially young coaches, the only regret you're ever going to have is when you allow uh, a player to bully you. And I'm a 57-year-old man, and I'm not going to let a 17, 18-year-old kid dictate how my mood's going to be at the end of the day. So I'm going to take charge. If it's wrong, I'm going to call it out immediately. I'm not going to run from situation. Oh, I dread talking to his mom or his dad. We're, we're going we're gonna to stop it right there, no matter what it is. And I'm going to handle the situation. And, you know, don't have regrets about things away from the game. Do I have regrets about a pinch hitter I used in 1993? Yeah, probably, but I, it doesn't keep me awake at night. Uh, do I have regrets because uh, I put up with a lack of effort? I let a kid loaf down the line because he was my best player and he would have two more at-bats. Don't put up with that. Don't put up with that. Because if you let a kid loaf down the line now – 10 years from now, you, you can't take it serious. So don't let anybody, if it's your program, and you got to remember it's only a program to you because those people are only in it for four years. And I hear guys say my program, the program, our program, it's your program. And don't let anybody hold you hostage. You do it the way you want to do it. And if you get fired, hey, Jonathan, here's a little secret that a lot of people dodge, especially in high school sports. Nobody really ever, I've never heard of anybody getting fired because they won or lost games. But I have heard uh, a thousand times guys getting fired because they had bad culture. So you do it the way you want to do it. And, you know, be firm, be fair, and stand by, stand by what you believe in. And I, I think uh, there's going to be two sentences that the listeners heard in this conversation. And you're going to want to talk a little bit more about that. And you're afraid to pick up the phone and call Butch or Wes or Jonathan, do it, pick up the phone and give us a call or send us an email or something. That's one of our most favorite things uh, for us to do. You know, I, like a year ago, I didn't know who Chuck box was, but um, now I do. And I, and I absolutely, and, I, and I'm blessed. I'm a better man and a better coach. And, a better and I've, known Chuck, I've known Chuck box for 35 years and I hate myself. I didn't bring him into the group a couple mo months before. So Wes and everybody else <laughs> could experience the greatness of Chucky box. And, and the second thing I'll say uh, for a listener is the grass is always greener somewhere else. If you don't fertilize and water where you are. Right. And I'll, I'll take Butch for example. And I honestly think this, Butch could be the head coach of the New York Yankees right now. Butch could be the head coach of any college he wanted to. But all Butch is concerned with right now is being the best at Cookville High School, being the best version of himself there. And, and he is, he's going to be happy with his life, happy with his players, happy where he is. Hey, if something else comes along, which it probably will, and he's, he is coaching a, a major league club one day, I, that'd be awesome. But, but be where your feet are and do the very best at where you are. And don't worry about chasing the next thing because nobody really sees the true you in that moment. So I just encourage guys to, you know, if it's the middle school coach, the middle school assistant coach, uh, be the best middle school assistant coach in the country. And pretty soon you're going to, you're going to end up, you know, 
everything else in your life is going to, is going to um, feed off of that. And you're going to be the best version of yourself and you're going to get rewarded. It might not be the timeline that you want it, but life and baseball will reward you when it's ready. And the game of life knows, but it says all the time, the game of baseball knows. So if you put in, there's no substitution for hard work. If you put in the work, you will definitely, uh, reap the rewards, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Just be where your feet are and be the best version of yourself. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.